Coming up this week on Espadorec S4C, we've got League Cup final. Not just an ordinary game, we have got a cup final as early as this in the season. So I'll be making the journey to Park Avenue to Aberystwyth, Mid Wales, lovely coastal coastal town. So um, relax on your settee, on your sofa, on your chair, on the floor, doing a yoga pose, chill out, get a couple of beers out if you're doing a dry January, get some more orange cordial maybe, some crisps, beautiful. Watch the game, Met Cardiff, trying to create a little shock there, having a good season so far. Maybe not quite as good in recent weeks as they were at the start, but certainly capable of a shock. Shocking a TNS side looking for their first trophy under Scott Roscoe as manager. So we've got Scott Roscoe battling out with Dr. Christian Edwards, a.k.a. Neil Morrissey from Men Behaving Badly. So looking forward to that one. Should be a good game and you're getting spoilt these days. If you, uh, if you are an S4C fan, if you're a football fan, well, obviously we've got the highlights of the games on Scoria on Mondays. Uh, Muy Scoria is a new programme, Wednesday nights, live with Dylan Ebenezer, 6.30 on Wednesdays, half-hour show. And Kick, presented by Helivana and myself. Friday afternoons on Stunch, 5 past 5, a little 20-minute programme, a little 20-minute blast, a little fix for the kids, mainly for the kids, but I know what you adults are like. You like your little football fix, don't you? So, leading up to the weekend, get yourselves on S4C. Five past five, kick. Kick, Moyo Scorio, Scorio. There's all sorts. Enjoy. Owen Tidder Jones is in that Tranmere wall as well. Here comes Trundle with the shot, hits the wall, bounces away to Sam Ricketts, out to McLeod left side. Cross comes in, header from Owen Tinder Jones, and it's gone in. What a cracking header from the tall midfield player. Owen Tinder Jones gets his third goal in a Swansea shirt, and against the run of play, it must be said, Swansea are back on level terms. Super cross from McLeod, lovely header from Owen Tinder Jones, and it's Tranmere 1, Swansea 1. Welcome back. First podcast of 2018. Happy New Year to all. I've made you wait a little while, haven't I? Oh, what a little tease. Just turning up to the to the venue for today's chat. Uh, the Village Hotel in Cardiff. Which apparently has got a little Starbucks that we can sit in the corner, have a little chat. But I just spoke to two days guest and it's very busy there. So apparently they're going to be very kind and put us in the in the in the corner of a restaurant which isn't open yet. Switch the speakers off, bit of peace and quiet. Um, and I'm looking forward to chatting with with today's guest, which is Mr. Chris Wathen. Uh, Chris works for Wales Online. Uh, he, he writes for newspapers, writes media content uh, for for online, which which is the brunt of his work these days. I, I would imagine he's. He's one of those guys who tries to suck you in. You know, you're on your Twitter feed or whatever it may be. You see a little link, you see a you see a big headline, big juicy headline, you think, oh, I've got to see what's going on here. Click on it, and the article's got nothing to do with the headline. They're liars, basically. Um, 
so we'll see how Chris got to where he's at, how he got to do his job. Uh, does he? Is it a job that he enjoys? I, I would imagine it's quite a lonely one at times, travelling here, there and everywhere to different grounds, uh, probably by himself at times, mainly because nobody wants to share a lift with him. Um, but it'll be good to catch up with him, get his stories on you know, how he gets on with managers, players, who sometimes he has to write negative things about. Um, you know, how how they take to that, because I tell you, as football folk, we do not like that sort of negativity. So, looking forward to this chat. Hopefully you guys enjoy it too. This is Mr. Christopher Waffen. He likes to tell you if anyone will listen About his seven caps, his chocolate knees, his distinct lack of pace. Now it's a long shot. Christopher Wathen, first guest of uh, the podcast in 2018. Congratulations. Very, very proud. I've been, since you text me, I've been humming your theme tune. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, you, well, you had a little listen for prep, have you? Yeah. I, I've been listening all the way through. It's been perfect company on the motorways up, mm. and, down, uh, up and down the UK. Um, better than uh, listening to radio phone-ins all <laughs> all the time so yeah I've been really interested you've done well for yourself it's quite it's quite strange being there on the receiving end for a for a change that's it the the hope is that it's more of a general conversation it doesn't have to be an interview yeah. process but you're right in what you're saying you know I tell anyone who listen podcasts and stuff I try and get them on the the podcast uh, bus if you like and yeah. listening in what better company? Not me, just in general, though, because, you know, I, I'm up and down the country, four-hour journeys, five-hour yeah. journeys, music. You have a little sing-song, don't you, for half hour, and then you get tired. Yeah. Podcast, good company. Well, it's it? you and me at 2 a.m. in the morning and Chris Gunter or Ferry Border yeah. going on a M5 diversion somewhere. Yeah. So thank you very much on behalf of all the listeners. No problem. I won't be listening back to myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to download it to make sure the numbers are up. There we go. Um... Why don't you tell us, you know, I could, I could say football, football writer, or would you class yourself as a chief football writer? Chief football writer is the official title, but yeah, um, yeah. football writer, Media Wales, which is Wales Online, Western Mail, uh, Wales on Sunday, South Wales Evening Post, South Wales Echo, and when I cover Wales, it's Daily Post in North Wales as well, so basically it's, um, it's <laughs> all corners of Wales. 
And it's something you've been doing for how long? In this current, well, at Media Wales uh, since 2007. Before that, I was at a place called Westgate Sports Agency. And I went straight there from uh, Cardiff Journalism School, um, which is one of the best journalism schools in the country. Um, look at the past sports journalists to, to come out. It's like Ollie Holt, Matt Dickinson from The Times, Ollie Kay from The Times, just to name a few. And then there's me, so I must be a real uh, letdown for them. Um, yeah, I went to uh, Westgate Sports Agency, uh, where, which is it's basically providing copy from Wales and, and Welsh sport for the national papers. Yeah. Uh, so it's a bit like being a freelancer, but getting paid a wage. And that was the, was the best grounding for me, because you know, in just match reporting alone, I'd be going to a game and you'd have five or six different match reports to write so you'd be writing for the Telegraph and the Daily Sport okay. in the same game so you had to change your styles up you know to suit that paper suit those readers and especially it puts you under a lot of pressure as you can imagine doing that many and every desk and every paper thinks theirs are the most important so they want theirs first yeah and a midweek match I'd be um, I'd be doing it first so I say five six seven titles and you had to file um, going back about 10 years at the file on 75 minutes and any changes after 75 minutes you had to you had to phone in or, or redo your report and of course you know if you've got goals in the 89th and 90th minutes and you're having mm. to do that seven times over yeah that puts um puts a lot of pressure on you but it's great it's a great learning experience so it was, it was quite weird going off to to write for one title then when I when I joined Wales on Sunday initially um, because you had a lot more freedom a lot more time you, you could get better essentially you know you could focus on what you wanted to say as opposed to what you had to say for a particular paper so uh, yeah it's been a it's been a good ride and uh, ten years in the current job and coincided with probably the greatest period in, in Welsh football so um, yeah I've been a lucky boy I've got to be so doing the same so role. you're taking credit for it are you? not taking credit for it I'm just saying just putting it out there but like it could you know I'm very aware that I've seen and uh, some of the greatest highs experienced some of the best moments in Welsh football club and country and it's just luck it's mm. nothing to do with me as a journalist uh, uh, you know how, whether I'm any good or not is that I've been able to cover Premier League football. It's not because of how good I am. It's because it's coincided with this huge leap in standards. Um, and there's been great journalists over the years on this patch that would have covered, you know, bottom division football, non-league football, Wales not doing anything. So I, I'm, I realise how lucky I and the rest of the sort of Welsh press pack are in this current time. It's weird because you say that, you know, co coincided with this glory period mm. automatically, you know, my mind there drifts to Euro 2016 and it doesn't necessarily take in Swansea in the Premier League, yeah. Cardiff in the Premier League, Swansea going to Europe, yeah. um, Newport coming into the league, everything like that. Cup finals. Because you, you take it for granted, don't you, I yeah. guess. And, you know, there, there, there's great journalists over the years uh, on this patch. Uh, Joe Lovejoy ended up writing for... The Observer was, was on the South Wales Echo. Peter Jackson went into rugby. He was on the South Wales Echo. Great, great writers that would have covered Cardiff and Swansea and Wales in the doldrums. Yeah. And I've come along and just timed it absolutely perfect. Like one of your runs into the box that I used to cover, Demo Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago, <laughs> me making the box. Um, but you, you discuss 
you say you moved from writing and, and your stuff would go to the big newspapers, yeah. the, the nationwide newspapers. So I, you know, without knowing your industry that well, would have thought working for Wales Online or, mm. or whoever it may be, would there be the ambition then to step in? Is it like, you know, stepping into the Times or the Telegraph is the Premier League? It doesn't necessarily work like that? No, it doesn't. I mean, it, it, you know, the industry is constricting. Um, but I, I've had opportunities to go to London. They weren't right for me. I, I, I'm, I'm a Welsh boy, family, nice house, live in a nice area. You know, it's what, what you weigh up is important in life, you know. Um, I sort of scratched the itch of writing for national papers by by being at an agency and having bylines and having that thrill when I was a youngster. Um, but then I, I, I wanted to be able to, to have a bit of a voice and that's, that was the big attraction for me at the time. And it, it's, it, I've more, been more than satisfied in terms of the experiences I've had and, and having, that, having that freedom really to cover almost what I want to a certain extent and write about what I want. Um, which, you know, go to London, you're sort of, I guess, small fish in a, in a big pond, aren't you? So, um, yeah, I would, have, I would have perhaps loved to have, have sounded like I'm retired, isn't it? But, um, you know, perhaps one day that I, it might come calling, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I love what I do. I wouldn't change it for the world, you know, the things that I've covered, the experiences yeah. I've had. Does it get... Does it get quite lonely? Like, because we're, we're often at the same games. Yeah. So if it's Swansea, Cardiff, Wales, whatever it may be. You know, I've stepped away from a football industry where it's a team. Yeah. I'm now involved with radio, television, where to some degree there's a team. Yeah. You know, you're there with some, there with a commentator, maybe a producer, a sound, sound engineer, whatever it may be. We travel together. As a writer, I know there's a, you know, you, you tend to, come together, don't you, yeah, from, yeah. From, from different companies and stuff. Does it get lonely for you? It can sometimes. Um, and especially, again, I mentioned the industry constricting, so you'd have less sort of local, to use a better, to, you want, for, to want for a better term, reporters at a game. So I've been at Cardiff Games, for example, where I look around the press box and I'd be the only one looking at it from a writer's point of view, from a Cardiff perspective. So you, you, sometimes you're in the press box and although it's your opinion, you will lean over and, you know, right, what did he think of that? Or did he think that was a penalty? Or what do you think so-and-so has played like? Mm. And if you're the only one there covering it from that team's angle, you've got no one, you know, they don't care. They've got their own agendas. So that, it's lonely. You've got to be sort of confident in your own opinion, in, in your own eyes, I guess. Um, what I would say is that journalism has got a reputation for being cutthroat. That was that was what was told to me when I first wanted to go into the industry as to what careers advisors or people would say. I think it's far from it. I think there's a real um, camaraderie between those who, who do the job. Um, there's people, you know, people have got your back. People will help each other out, tapping up quotes and stuff like that. You know, even though we're all on rival papers, because we all know the pressures of the job. Um, as much as you say it is, you know, we are on our own, we're all one per paper, per se, like with Wales. Mm. There's a huge sort of bond between those who covered Wales, especially during this period, all looking out for each other, 
all wanting the same thing, which is Wales to succeed and, and getting good stories from it. So I get what he's saying, but those drives home can be lonely. Yeah. Because <laughs> you do a lot of miles. But um, no, you there is there is a great feeling between everyone who covers the same clubs, the same teams, of, of that kinship, you know what I mean? That you, you're, you're all in it together. You've all done the hard yards together. Yeah, and you sometimes come across you'll come across some of the same guys week in, week out, and yeah. then occasionally, you know, whether you're in Sunderland or uh, Bournemouth, wherever it may be, you get to know people from across the country who do the same job yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely, and it's, it's weird, you know, that um, I spend more time with people from other newspapers or other media organisations than I probably do with my actual colleagues at Media Wales. Yeah. Because, you know, you're on the road and you're at the games more often than you're in the office. Um, but that's great, you, you know, you, um, everyone has, has, has different ways of working, everyone's got their own agendas at press conferences and, and, and games and you know, everyone's got their own instructions, but, um, but everyone knows each other's pressures. So, you know, to give you an insight, like it's always strange, work experience people, for example, who come on and find it strange that we'll, we'll pool interviews in the mix zone, which is the area, as you know, that after a game, players uh, come out and we try and stop you interviewing unless you haven't got a mobile phone taking a fake call next year, year or something like that and you'll share the interview even though you might not have had it and it's that when I say about that it, not a pack mentality but it can be just luck that you're standing in the right place to grab a few words with Gareth Bale after a Wales game it's just luck that I'm stood there and he's been brought up by the press officer yeah the next game I could be stood in the wrong place. So what you know, so you, you know what you may gain one game, you lose out the next one. So that's why you tend to share. You, you chase your own stories. If you get a story to yourself from your hard work or your contacts or what have you, that's different. You wouldn't share that. Yeah. You're still trying to beat each other. But um, yeah, if you, you you wouldn't cut your own throat basically and go off and be in a a lone shark. So. There is, like I say, that camaraderie, that understanding, how, how tough the pressures of the job are. Um, so you help each other out when you can, and then try and beat the pants off each other and get in the, get in the exclusives and the other times. You're talking about exclusives and stuff. What, what will be your, not your normal working week, but for example, we're in January now. Yeah. Transfers are going to be happening. Yeah. How do you get the load down? Do you sit in the office and... and have you got your contact list that you get in touch with people or do, yeah. you, do you just have to wait and see, see something come up? It's a bit of everything, you know, obviously the internet has expanded exponentially and changed the way all journalists work. So it was just to say that back in the day, someone who had a little bit of gossip might have seen the famous one at Swansea, isn't it? They've seen someone in Morgan's Hotel and that means they're signing. Or Verdi's. Verdi's, um, and back in the day, they might have phoned the local paper up okay. and said, oh, you know, I've got a bit of gossip here. Whereas now, why would they do that? They just put it on a message board or put it out on Twitter. So you, you lose that side of it, but you also, the world's a much smaller place because the internet. So, you know, foreign signings and overseas targets, that, you know, you know how to look for stories in... Uh, uh, foreign press for example foreign media um, 
So it's it's harder to get the exclusives on the transfers like that. But yeah, there is the other side of it. Then you you contacts, you know, agents either you phoning them, they're phoning you up, pick up on whispers, little things. There's all sort of dark arts to it. What and what what tends to happen now? Back previously, before you know, real online explosion, uh, you'd only really report something that you knew for sure, whereas now you'll see uh, according to reports. You wouldn't copy another newspaper story unless you knew it to be true, whereas now you will see uh, whatever paper, the Daily Mirror, the Sun is saying this, that's one's interested in this player. You have to go with it. You have to go with it a little bit. What you try and then do is that as long as you say, well, we're not saying this, we're just reporting what's out there because people are talking about it, so you need to be part of the conversation. Um, what you try and do then is when you when you know something for sure, when it's your story, then you go big on it. Yeah. And, and what I'd like to think is that whether it's me or like Andrew Gwillem I work closely with at Swansea, you know, if they got our names on it, it's like almost like a seal of approval. Now, whether people want to believe that or whether it does me more harm than good to put my name next to it, that's up to the reader. Yeah. But you, you just go a little bit harder when you know something's right, when you've got your own sources to back it up as opposed to uh, according to reports. So could you not save yourself a lot of bother these days and not do all the hard graft and work knowing that you know that story's going to come out somewhere on Twitter and stuff and just feed off yeah, feed you, off the scraps? You could, but then you're in the wrong job. Yeah. You know, you want, that's the nature of... Do you get the buzz? Do you get oh, the buzz yeah. when you find something out, yeah? When you get a big story, there's nothing like it. It's the adrenaline addiction. Is, there, the a, is there an example of that? I think the, one of the best stories I broke was... Um, Alicia Absalyamov, who was the, um, the 23-year-old from Kazakhstan that was appointed as like transfer advisor at Cardiff City when, they, when Ian Moody left under Marky Mackay. Yeah. And that was a proper old-school exclusive. So we were trying to get information on this uh, Absalyamov. And um, someone else told me this, actually. Um, someone from The Guardian I really respect said, if you had Googled his name before, didn't get any hits. Right. The next uh, next day at 11 o'clock after the story had broken at 10 p.m. the previous night, it was bringing up hits in the hundred thousands. That story just went. It was, a, you know, incredible tale, sort of summed up as a bit of a circus at Cardiff at the time. And it just summed up how, how that story had travelled everywhere. Um, so that was a real buzz. But of course, like I said, it's like an addiction, you want the next one. Yeah. So you've got to keep on chasing and keep on chasing. And don't get everyone. And, and that's the other, going back to that point about journalism being cutthroat. Journalists know when they've been beaten and are first to say, if you look on Twitter, they're first to say, congrats, what a great scoop it is, because they know how hard it is to do. Mm. But they'll just try and beat you the next day. So, you, you know, you can never... You're only good as your last fight, like, you know, if you use boxing parlance. It's, it, it's brilliant, but it, it's unrelenting. You know, using the, the term biting your nose off to spite your face. Yeah. Do you think, you know, it's well known now that interviews generally with footballers, yeah. managers after games and stuff, they're boring. Yeah. You know, you get the same stuff week in, week out. You, you can almost record what you say and the, what they say on the opening weekend and just yeah. play that for the rest of the season. That must be frustrating for you. Yeah. But do you think that you are the cause of that as well? Perhaps. Because if, if anything is said out of... Out of con not out, out of context, but anything different, bang, yeah. big headlines. Especially now with, with Twitter, 
sort of opinion is is instant, and the, the judgment is instant. So, yeah, I can see why players are far more reserved these days, and you know the media training is 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 I assume not necessarily far better, but with far greater warnings about the pitfalls. Yeah. So, like, if I was in a player's point of view, we would be thinking, well. And I give as little as possible, really, because you know, unless it's to serve your own purpose, you know, what do I gain from this? Um, that said, you know, that's down to the journalist then to build up a reputation, you know, a trustworthiness, so you can get a bit more out of the interviews. I mean, as at Wales Online, we've actually moved away from your stand, bog standard interviews, where a player will say oh yeah, we must win this next match. Uh, or a manager will say, you know, we're going to give it 110%. Because people shut off from it. We shut off from it. Yeah. So, whereas before it used to be about filling pages. So, oh, we've got nothing else, so let's just use this. Well, now, sort of more online age, we can see how many people are reading the stories and how, how long they're on the story for. Yeah. So you can see that people aren't interested in, you know, we're aiming for the playoffs, or this is a six-pointer. People are fed up with cliches, they want more. So we try and stay away from that, try and do things different, some work, some don't. There's, there's sort of no limits on the, on, on the web. Mm. So there's, you know, you could, it's, it's ever-evolving. What I try and do in my role is that when I do interviews, I, make, I try and make sure that they, people want to read them and um, that they bring something different that you know, in many circumstances that even if you're not a fan of that club that you'd want to read it because there's a human interest or it, 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 it it's the old adage someone told me in journalism is about telling people something they didn't know and that, that stands true of everything that is ultimately it tells some, somebody something they don't know and they'll be interested and um, that's, what I, that's what I try and do. So you mentioned that that comes with trust. Is it a difficult one that you know, you want to gain that player, that manager's trust, so that they share with you. Mm. But then if the going gets tough and you have to speak your mind or you have to say something, you know, you can't keep everything hidden. Yeah. And that trust can, can vanish very quickly. Yeah. It's... Do, will it sometimes get lost between a professional relationship and a personal one? It's, it's, it's tough. That's, there's no handbook for sports journalism. There's no... You know, I did a journalism course and there are sports journalism courses, but you don't find out until you do the job. So you get burnt doing the job as much as a player might get burnt by having trust. Um, it's, you know, you learn as you go along about how to manage that, that those relationships. Um, you know, there's different kinds in terms of like giving opinions on match performances and and the ratings, which we hate as journalists but are the first thing players read and the first thing fans read tend to be yeah um they're really difficult to write um because it's almost impossible to keep an eye on every nuance of 11 or 22 players performances on a pitch yeah especially when you're having a file them as the first thing um and you know, players might read and go, oh, what does he know? You know, I'm not, I'm not listening to him, I'm not talking to him. Well, fine, if that's the attitude they want to take. I find is that players are more respectful of you if you tell it as it is. That, you know, if I, 
if I try and go, oh, I want to, I want to stay in with him, I'll give him an extra mark. Yeah. That their respect for you might drop a little bit anyway. I find. I'm not sure. Not, if I, not sure. Not sure you agree. I'm not sure about that. I think. Uh, I think that stands with longer-term relationships. Yeah. yeah I think you have to establish a, a trust first. It's, it's such a, it's such a, difficult subject, isn't it? Because I know, I know dressing rooms, where that newspaper comes in on a, on a Monday morning. Some players will try and act as if they don't look at it. Mm. Some some players will voice their shock, maybe. Um, having a low mark yeah. uh, some like to shout from the rafters if they've had a good one and deep down players know if they've played well or played badly yeah um it's just those low ones where they think hang on a minute i deserve a little bit more it I can hope, create animosity i i hope you don't mind me telling saying this but darren pratt he runs a real pop at me at swansea yeah not because of what i'd given him but because um Ash had played so well, bringing the ball out of defence, and the midfield was fairly poor. I think it might have been like Brendan Rodgers' first game up at Hull. Uh -huh. And I said, I wasn't only the best defender, but also the best midfielder on the park. Yeah. And Pratt's went nuts about it. Not because of the mark I gave in, but because it's like, it's... You know. Yeah. But th that's what it is, you know. Ash, you know, good relationship with Ash over the years, and he it was you know, always the first... Always the first reference in a conversation was the marks I'd given him and we'd have a bit of banter about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's caused me no end of grief over the years, but... Is there something secretly that you, you quite enjoy about, not, not offending anyone obviously, but you know, that little bit of controversy maybe that something like that can cause? No, it's, I'll, you, you don't win by that. That's when you lose that trust I was talking about. If you're saying something for the sake of saying something or to get a reaction. I'll only say it if I believe it. Because if you start going with opinions that you don't really believe, then you can't back it up. You can't stand there and defend yourself. Mm. You know, everyone's got opinions. Mine is no better, no worse than anyone else. Um, but it's only when you, if you start going off just to say, oh, this will get people talking. And I know some journalists like to operate like that perhaps, but that's not me. I think... That, that's what gets you into into trouble with yourself, really. Uh, but you know, you're talking about uh, those relationships. You do. You've got to know when to to hit out with someone, and, and you know, like you wouldn't just have one player on their own on a on a far lower mark than everybody else, and just hang them out to dry, really. You know, because that that can cause you problems, and you know, you might err on the side of caution once or twice. You know, if you're covering the same team all the time compared to one that, you know, well, I'm not going to see them again, I don't have to worry about them. Yeah, of course you're going to be a bit more careful, more constructive yeah. in how you give opinions. But, you know, ultimately you've got to call it as you see it nine times out of ten. And I've always found that your relationships will get better on, you can be better if they come through the other side. Mm. Me, and, me and Chris Coleman are right ding-dongs during his time as Wales manager. Because, right because of what you'd written? Or yeah. Marks or? Well, not just Marks, what I've written, the famous passport gate in Skopje. Yeah. I wish I'd still had the dictaphone where, where we were almost having a shouting match in the, in the press conference afterwards. So that's in front of everybody? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I can remember that he'd left the press conference room to go and do Rob Phillips with a beeb. Uh, in, the, in the radio room in, in Skopje and uh, we'd flown for the night coming back from the game 
and we landed in Luton Airport and for some reason in Luton we were able to pick up Radio Wales on medium wave. Yeah. And they played out the interview, it was like 8 o'clock in the morning and, and uh, Cookie's words, I can't believe what they've just accused me of in there, talking about the press conferences you just had, you know, yeah. it was that feisty. A week later we sort of shook out, I said, look, it's nothing personal, Chris. And we shook hands and I think he took a step back as well and we've laughed about it since. And I probably enjoyed the best relationship of all the managers I've worked with, with Chris Coleman, despite that. We, could, we actually probably because of that, because we both stood our ground, both realised that, you know, each other's reasons, but we're both passionate in what we were understanding of the situation and we were able to sort of draw a line and be constructive about it. it was, Okay, so there's no regrets. So, no. you know, as you're talking there, I'm thinking, would you regret doing that? Because you know now what's happened, the journey since, and Chris Coleman's popularity as a Wales manager. And do you think, fuck it, is there a little voice in Coleman's mind that thinks of you as a little twat? <laughs> you know, do you wish you could go back in time to, to avoid that, or was that just. No, because I think that's what made the relationship better. Yeah. Because I wasn't going to be pushed around. He was in the wrong. He, you know, I'm not. All right, anyone can lose their passport. I'll lose my passport one day, and I'll text Cookie straight away and tell him, right? Because, it, it, but he was the Wales manager, and he wasn't there a night before a game. And at the same time, you know, it wasn't going to plan. There was all sorts of other things going on. Um, and I thought to myself, if this was the England manager, it'd be on the front page, never mind the back page. And I thought, well, I wasn't alone. Everyone else in the press pack were, were, were going for him. And um, I, I, I think he, he saw that I wasn't going to be you know, pushed around or I, you know, I was going to stand my ground. And I think we were better for that because I wasn't doing it personally. It wasn't because, oh, I don't, I don't fancy this guy. I don't like him. Let's get him out. Yeah. I was doing it because I, that, was, that was, A, that was the story. And B, that was what was right. And... Yeah, I think our relationship was stronger for that. Um, and I think, you know, Cookie in general was, was stronger not for that incident or for, you know, a row with me, but for that campaign. Mm. And it made him into the manager he became in that second campaign. Um, whereas he, he holds a grudge about it. I interviewed him for the book I wrote on, on the, the journey of, of the side. Hey, plug away, mate. Give it a little plug. <laughs> Still Save a bit of an Amazon. Together stronger. Um, and um, we were sat in St. David's Hotel having a coffee. And we were chatting, you know, he's so honest, Cookie. And it was, it was a brilliant, really insightful stuff he'd never said before. and Really, really strong stuff. And um, halfway through, this, uh, these two ladies come up and say, oh, excuse me, do you mind me? Do you mind signing this for my son? You should sure. Knickers. Yeah. Hmm. Sure. I'm do you, not moving off of the son. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, do you, you know, what's your son's name? He said, Daniel, whatever it was. And he said, yeah. Okay, can you tell Daniel that I signed this when I was sat next to the man who tried to get me the sack? Yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking, oh, God, then he had a big grin in his face, big hug. That's a good thing, isn't it? That's it a is. good sign, yeah. Exactly. And that's what I mean about the relationships. The better relationships are the ones where... You know, you've stood toe-to-toe, -to -toe, you've been honest with each other, and you come out on the other side. Is it harder, you know, we can talk about these big newspapers um, over in England mm. who cover games, cover clubs. Is it harder in South Wales? There's, there's the Welsh national team, obviously. Yeah. Swansea, Cardiff, Newport. Yeah. 
you know, there's a bias towards them, obviously, because that's who you're covering. That's the, the fans of those clubs want to read about their club, not yeah. the opposition. You know, I find the same on the radio, TV. You're commentating on Swansea as yeah. opposed to Newcastle as well. Different to Radio 5 Live, yeah. for example. But does that then get harder with criticism, knowing you have to see that manager week in, week out? Yeah, it does. It, it gets harder, fresh things to say, let's be honest. Especially yeah. when it's... Yeah. Especially when it's been like you know, Swansea you have for the last you know, 18 months um, because you feel like you're, you're repeating yourself um, and, it, and it can feel almost, if you're not careful, it can be malicious, you know, if you're just you know, really attacking someone. Because you end up being a fan of those clubs, don't you? It's like me playing yeah. for, a, I supported Liverpool growing up, as soon as I signed for Swansea, I'm then a Swansea supporter, I'm a Norwich supporter. Yeah. Exactly the same for who you're covering, isn't it? Yeah. You want success for them. Well, I've got vested interests. Mm. You know, I, I not only want them to do well, I need them to do well. Yeah. The better they do, more people are going to read about them. One of the biggest myths about journalism and newspapers, as, as it were, was, is that bad news sells. It really doesn't. Good news sells. The, the, the viewing figures uh, for our site and went through the roof during the Euros because it just captured everyone's imagination. That, it, that, that applies to every example you want. So yeah, we're, we want them to do well, but you have to take a step back from, it's good to you know, capture that feeling of the fans, but at the same time, you've got to have a sense of detachment and give, you know, our job is there to, to provide an insight. We're in a privileged position. Our job is to provide an insight that, that the regular fans who are at the stadium don't have access to. Mm. So we. We might have the year of someone in the dressing room um, and that feeling of what the players are thinking, not necessarily quoting, but, you know, that little bit of whispers or, or what training's been like, what we thought about this tactics, what the manager is trying to do with the system. You don't have to report it in as many words, but just try and give that insight, like I say, that we have access to without sort of saying, manager says this. So that's what it'll be. It'll be one or two players in the squad or a coaching staff member that you just fire off a text and say, yeah. what's morale like? Yeah, or exactly. Rather than just doing it off the top of your head. Because that's when it gets dangerous, when you're just sort of assuming and speculating. Our job is to be better than that. Our job is, you know, there's some guys who cover Swansea on a regular basis for nationals. You know, some fantastic journalists, you know, better writers and interviewers and story getters than myself. But it's my job on my patch and the same for my colleagues to have better contacts and better insights. It, it's become tougher the, the higher up the clubs go yeah. because it opens up so many doors, more agents involved, etc. But it's you feel a responsibility. That's, that's tough. You know, it's tough in the on and off the field situations. It's tough to, to have that response, you know, because every time there's a story about Swansea or Cardiff and it breaks somewhere else. And going back to that sort of, you know, wanting to be first. Yeah. You know, and it's 24 hours, you know, it's, you never switch off, even in your off days. So agents, agents will be a part of that contact list as well? Yeah. So, for example, a player signs for Swansea tomorrow is one of the first things you do, find out who his agent is, yeah. get him on your contact list. Do you sometimes feel, do you know when you're being played? You know, yeah, will, will you an agent, is it as soon as you get a phone call from an agent, do you think, ah. You've got to, you've got to use judgment then you've got to know when all right is he just saying this to you know to get something out there it's um yeah you've got to have your wits about you from experience um and you know you go back to that thing about 
trusts and you know you'll find out only find out from from doing something from going down that path with an agent and his, and his tip off or a player and his tip off and if it turns out to be wrong well perhaps you'll know a bit better next time um, and the same is that you know you can't just can't just hit and run and that goes with you know relationships with players and relationships with your readers mm. because you'll get found out you won't last very long because if you start writing about things that just don't happen then that that seal of approval I was talking about well that that goes mm. that goes really quickly you say that Chris Coleman was probably your favorite well not your favorite maybe the just best the relationship, best relationship from what we went through yeah. and he was just so honest but you know, I've worked with some worked with them you know I've dealt with some really good ones over the years who, who would spring Brenda, to mind Brendan was fantastic Brendan would um, do a lengthy sort of broadcast interview mm. which everyone can see these days they're always streamed then what I think some people don't realise you have a written briefing so you sort of you can follow up questions get a Perhaps you've got more time with them, hopefully get a different story to the ones that the broadcasters have got. But what Brendan was good after that, we switch the tapes off or put your pads down and we'll just talk football then. Right. And it wasn't necessarily about Swansea, you just talk football and you got a great insight and you 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 got to meet Brendan a few times, no doubt, and you he'd know your personal situation, he'd be asking about and Roberto was the same. Very good. They sort of get you on side and yeah. again you're talking about being played. You sort of they're playing you, you, yeah. 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 And you remember you're not really friends with them. You're friendly, but you're not friends. But to have that insight from Brendan was fantastic because you got exactly what he was trying to do and his thoughts about the game and um I don't mind saying this because I I've I've told him himself. Um Monks I think Monks struggle with that a little bit. Mm. Um now I have and had a great relationship with Monks as a player. Um, great as a manager as well, but the more he, the deeper he was into it, the more he sort of clammed up a little bit. And I wanted him, I needed him almost to say, why is this happening? Why, why yeah. are you doing this? Not because I wanted to run a big exclusive, Gary Monk has dropped this player because of that, but I just needed to know, I could stop questioning it myself. Or when I'd write a match report, I. I wouldn't be going, goodness knows what Gary Monk was doing when he brought this player off after 65 minutes. Yeah. I'd know, I'd know his thinking. Yeah. Um, and I said that to him, we spoke when he went to Leeds and I think whether he accepts it or not, but I think that the whole situation with Swansea and the sort of, the emotional attachment in and the ex probably the extra pressure he yeah. felt from it, whether that affected it or not. But I think he, I think he definitely better for it mm. having gone through it. Um, so, yeah, it's, every manager is different. Now, Roberto was great. Neil Warnock is fantastic at Cardiff. I've absolutely loved dealing with him. Again, Always gives you a headline. Yeah, he does. He does. He's because uh, he's uh, that honesty again, and um, you know he he gets. He's been in the game long enough. He gets what we need and to help us, and we get what he's trying to do. And again, I've got that insight from from Neil. I know what his thinking is, whether it's. He's made that public or not, so just cut them a little bit of slack in certain things. So look, if they you know, they have lost four games in a row, but like I know some of the reasons why, I understand some of the reasons why. So I'm not going to hammer him, yeah. Just because you know, oh, that'd be easy to, wouldn't it? So I think that that's the art of a sort of relationship between manager and and, and journalist, and um, 
but at the same time, you know, when you, something needs to be said, it needs to be said, and that's whether you've got a good relationship or not, and that's that's where the onus falls on you. That's where you've got to be brave and trust that relationship will still be fine. The working relationship will still be fine after you've you've been critical. What about bad ones? Dave Jones was tough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as an organisation, we were banned from press conferences and it didn't clearly didn't particularly like uh, the media. He, he, he always spoke well. He always gave a line compared yeah. to some, but he was tough. Um, Paulo Souza was tough. I think he went to the ban me and Gareth Vincent from the South Wales Evening Post once. Um, yeah. Is it because they take they take things a little bit too not personal, but I, I get a sense sometimes you see. I think Pep Guardiola is a good example. Yeah. Mourinho, obviously, the last few few seasons doesn't enjoy talking to the press when things are going bad. I thought Guardiola last season mm. started off brilliantly in Man City and then didn't go so well. Yeah. And I thought he's not the type of personality that enjoys press anyway. Yeah. But as soon as things are going badly, he has his vision of the way football should be played, what yeah. he's doing with his team. And then to get accusations and, and journalists questioning him, yeah. they just sort of get on the back foot. Instead of They can't play the game. Yeah. They're, they're born winners. So when they're not winning, it's like, how dare you... Yeah. question me you know yeah. obviously he will know more about football than, than you it's, it's dealing with that I guess isn't it yeah it is people view the media in different ways people want to like you say want to play the game or they don't um, it's, it doesn't really matter um, everyone's entitled to their own thing like you know Paul Clement was a great guy in press conferences really really insightful never ducked a question but didn't really want that or wasn't able to have that personal more personal relationship with him, didn't really talk off the record with him. Mm. Um, and that was just the way he operated. And, you know, whether that's because he, at uh, bigger clubs, used to, again, used to win him. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. But, um, you know, my, it's not the reader's interest to know whether I'm sort of in with the manager or not. They want the stories regardless. So you just have to go about things in a different way. And I said, you've got to be a bit of a chameleon. You know, you've got to be hard sometimes. You've got to be, you know, friendly and open doors sometimes. And it's, it varies from player to player, from manager to manager, from club to club. And it must, you know, it must uh, affect your way. If, if there is a manager, if Dave Jones is short with you. Mm. Um, I think Graham Westley is an example at yeah. Newport. You know, if they're, if they're arrogant... Mm. Uh, they don't treat you with maybe the respect that you feel you deserve. There must be a little element where, if the opportunity is there, to <laughs> stick the knife in. But it, com it comes from going back to that thing of, of having that insight, of having that knowledge of what they're trying to do, so you can look past the initial thing. I get a call is there to you know, you call it as you see it. But um, and having that insight again from the dressing room, perhaps like Francesco Guidolin, I got accused of giving Guidolin too hard a time. But I knew what it was like behind the scenes. I knew how much of a mess it was. So even you know, even though the results didn't look too bad in places, I knew that you should never have been given that that contract in the summer. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, and so again, you call it call it as you see it because you know that perhaps what you've seen on the pitch isn't isn't everything. It doesn't tell the full story. So you it's all about context, isn't it? You use 
Oh, my job is to gather as much information as possible to make calls, so that's what you do. Were you ever at the Newport Games where Graham Westley would keep press waiting for, what, over an hour? Paolo Souza made us wait, I think it was something like two hours, and I think once was because he went for his haircut. Okay. So you can imagine he's got, he wasn't... He's got to look good, hasn't he, on yeah, the camera? exactly. So you can imagine he wasn't our favourite for a while. Mm. But that one, that's not going to get... That's not going to get a manager a sack or keep him in a job. Results do that. That's the be-all and end-all. We can sort of help fans understand or paint the picture why things are happening or really spell things out if it's good or bad, but people make their own minds up. Especially now when the online resources are different to buy you know, one paper and, and their opinion carries so much weight. It's, it's very different. But yeah. I don't know, everyone has their views. Everyone's got an opinion. I'm, I'm just lucky enough to be able to put mine to, to print. Talking about uh, Wesley there, I remember one of my best mates in football, I'm sure I'll get him on the podcast, old Matty Gill, who's a yeah. under-23s manager at Norwich now. He went to meet Graham Wesley. Wesley wanted to sign him for Stevenage. Um, so I'm not sure if it was between Stevenage and another club, and Gilly went in. He's a bit of a wimp, Gilly. Mm. And as his potential new manager, what Wesley wanted was he asked him to wrestle him <laughs> in the office. <laughs> He wanted a wrestle to see what sort of character this player was. Bobby Gould style. Exactly. So he's a, he's a bit of a weirdo. He's uh, the only manager that I've seen Brian Flynn get furious over. Really? Flynn, he wouldn't shake his hand. It was 2004 in the FA Cup. Yeah. I think he was at Stevenage the first time round. And he'd wound Flynn up a treat. I think it might have been from an interview that I'd written for Wheels on Sunday. And uh, it's the first time ever Flynn didn't shake a manager's hand. Really? Yeah. A little so, sulk. Yeah. <laughs> that tells a story. Uh, highlights, Chris? Euros. Yeah. Without a shadow of doubt. Actually, I'm going back to the start. I'm so privileged. I've seen two clubs win promotion to the Premier League. Newport win promotion to the Football League after all those years. Cardiff in the Cup FA Cup final. Swansea win the League Cup. Swansea in Europe. In uh, Napoli. At, mm. at uh, San Paolo. You know, I've lucky enough to manage to get onto the side of the pitch on the pre day of the press conference before the game and I went to the corner flag because that's where Roger Miller did his wiggle in Italian 90 that right. very pitch you know that's I'm so lucky and a couple of times you know I thought if my 10 year old self could could see me now you know I'm so privileged but the Euros were another level yeah absolutely another level because you cover Wales differently oh, oh. You know, you're going back to that thing about being a fan. Yeah, we want the sides, the club sides to do well. We need them to do well. But there's a greater sense of detachment than there is with Wales. Because, you know, you, you do right, you are more analytical. Because there are, there are people who read your reports who aren't fans of Swansea, aren't fans of Cardiff, and aren't expecting you to be sort of parish pump newspapers, you know, or fanzines. With Wales, it's slightly different because you, you're sort of writing for the whole country. And I've always thought... You know, being out, not just the Euros, but being away with Wales and seeing, you know, places in the world I never would have seen without this job. That I'm, I'm the one responsible for sort of bringing people with me. So I'm out there, but it's my job to paint pictures and try and give a flavour of the atmosphere and, and the feeling in the squad and the ins that insight we talked about to those not lucky enough to go. Mm. And, you know, the Euros was like that for, you know, four or five weeks. So that was incredible, and then you know, obviously the the story, and I was so, it was extra special for me because 
the journey this side has been on sort of mirrored my own journey. I've almost, I'm, I'm a bit older than, I'm quite a bit older than a, than a lot of the, the golden generation. But you started covering the world squad yeah. when they were starting yeah. to come through. So I'd always try and go to under 21 matches when they used to play the night before, but yeah. in the same area. Because I thought, well, I was still trying to make my way. I thought, well, they'd be the next stars. Because, you know, the, the, the lads in Sparky's squad or Tosh's squad at the time, they all got relationships with established journalists. So I thought, right, I'm going to try and get on board with the next generation. And um, so I traipsed around, go watch the under-21s. So I was at Port Talbot when Bailo and Chris Gunter, I think Dave Edwards, made their under-21 debut. Um, and I've, so I've seen these players grow as footballers, as people, and, um, and then to see them then do what they did in the Euros was, uh, not, not just in the Euros, but just qualifying. You know, I, I covered the game in Bosnia. Mm. And I got back to the hotel and sort of looked on our site and saw, you know, we did a story about, you know, the, the magical pictures of a historic night in Zeneca or something like that. And I was, I'm not ashamed to admit there was a little tear in my eye mm. because of the journey, reporting on something I didn't think I'd see in my lifetime. Yeah. And then the Euros was that, you know, times 10 and just the euphoria of it all. And, you know, you were out there in Dinard, it was, it was perfect. And, you know, the access we had the relationships we have with the players um, allowed them to be so honest. You know that. You know when Gunch was was talking, and and Dave Edwards has mentioned it a few times. You know he's brought a book out, and that they felt that they could sort of be rela more relaxed about us, and they could be playful and talk about the fines and the quizzes yeah. and stuff like that. Whereas the England players wouldn't dare. And and Bailo's mentioned this actually. He mentioned it before the Euros that they got the players got the impression that we as a media as a press pack wanted them to succeed were willing it yeah whereas the English press pack rightly or wrongly was felt as that they're wanting them waiting for them to trip up yeah and wanting now whether that's fair and those journalists or not but that created such a different environment created such a, a positive environment whether that was just in the hotel but then as soon as they stepped out, they, they felt it as well from us. And that's what we like to think. And we got great stories from it. Yeah. It was a joy to sit in those press conferences and, you know, Bailo coming out. And we'd just have journalists from other countries, the, the guys from Ireland going, can't believe the access you're getting. Um, well, Bailo almost became a superstition that he would come out two days before a game. Yeah. And he just got such an insight into that squad, into that camp, because he'd be talking there. And he, th and he came out of it thinking, you know what, give me a pair of boots and I'd fancy myself. Yeah. Because he just made you feel 10 feet tall. I thought, if I'm feeling like this, what are the players feeling like? Um, and then it was our responsibility to sort of transfer that and, and share that with the people reading back home. So they got a sense and they got caught up in the buzz. And, and hopefully we, paid up, we played our part that people could have a little taste of what we were experiencing and and why it was such a special time and you know the games were magical it was tough to report on because you know you want to just sit back and enjoy it almost and i had a i had a text off a mate of mine who works the daily record mm. right five minutes into the russia game 
and it was a late kickoff, so I was filing pretty much on the whistle. And that means you know you've got like at most ten minutes. Um, it should be on the whistle, but I you know managed to squeeze an extra ten minutes out of the sub editors yeah. to file your file your report. Otherwise, the paper's going off and there's a big blank space in it. Uh-huh. Um, and the text came through from this guy in the Daily Record and says, I know the deadlines are there, he said, but just sit back, even if just for a minute, and take this in because this doesn't happen. And so I tried. I think I lasted 20 seconds. Really? And just, right, right, I'll be able to write that in a bit, but just take, soak it up. But that was the one, I think, wasn't it, that you probably could have because that game was over pretty... Yeah. You could have written your article half-time. You could have enjoyed the whole second half. You, you could have, but you're also so wary, aren't you? Yeah. You know what I mean, think people talk, people love last-minute goals, and they not journalists don't. Yeah. And it changes your focus. That like Barca game in the Champions League. You know, yeah, I was off my seat watching it, but my next thought was the poor sods writing those reports because the, it just ripped up hundreds and hundreds of words. You know, could be their best work ever. Never see the light of day. And then and, something rushed. Has and got something to go rushed. And then, of course, it goes straight out online and someone points out a mistake in your third part. Yeah. But, yeah, it was, it, that, that was special, that game, because I can remember being in the hotel and the sudden dawning of, of it, well, it could be over tonight. I'm not ready to go home. Like, the fans weren't ready to go home. I want to keep on reporting this. This was, you know, the gig of a lifetime. Yeah. So, um, the, yeah, the whole experience was... It was magical. Do you ever get in awe? Because, you know, deep down you're a fan. Yeah. You're a football fan, Wales fan. Um, so for any supporter mm. looking on, listening, they assume they would be in awe of a Gareth Bale or, or something like that. Do you find it's a case of first time you interview somebody big? I, I know you would have met him when he was a mm. young boy, so seen him grow up. But you, you interview some, a big name. And then after the second time, third time, it just becomes the norm? Yeah. The bigger names tend to be ones from your own childhood. Yeah. Those that have, have made the grade now, it's slightly less so. I've actually, I was, it was in a structured environment, so they were sort of at a top table, a table the, uh, you know, away from you, sat in the seats. I've interviewed Messi and I've interviewed Ronaldo because I'm lucky enough to be on the sort of um, UEFA panel for best player in Europe mm-hmm. as, the, as the Welsh media vote. Um, so there's you know that level there is a bit of awe because you know they are absolute superstars and you're not doing it every day. Yeah. Um, but sort of it was more likely that you know initially it'd been like Rushy or something like that. But that soon goes. Yeah. And ultimately, as soon as you sort of click on, you're there to do a job. You're there to get a story. You, you know, and you so you can't afford. It's the same as you playing. Yeah. There's a little bit of a moment when you go to a big ground that you dreamed of playing at. But you're in the job and you're in the zone. and you're Becomes there. the norm, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and if you don't switch on, then you don't do yourself justice. Mm. And you come away just with, nah, oh, yeah, it goes, what, what did you get? I don't know, but it was great meeting. However, well, they're not going to care, are they? Mm. Your readers aren't going to care. Uh, it's, not about, it's not about you as a journalist. It's not about me having these experiences as much as I'm rattling on about them. Yeah. It's about us being there to do a, do a job. You know, that's what we get paid for. You know, lucky, to, lucky enough to do it. Um, so yeah, um, you, sort of, you have your moments. Whether that's grounds, but like even in the Euros, you know, you forget. 
we forget it's the semi-final of the European Championships, probably the biggest game I'll ever report on, or the Champions League final. It's just the next game. You know, Champions League final at the Millennium Stadium. Yeah. You forget that, oh, wow, look at this, what I'd give to be this. You know, you do at the start, and you might do afterwards, but when it's 80 minutes and you've got 10 minutes to file your report, that's, that's all you're thinking about. It's another game. Yeah. Whether, and it's the same, you know, the deadlines are the same as they were if I was covering Newport County or Rodney Parade. What's your contact saying? Who's the next Wales manager? Have you got the messages out? I have, but it'll probably change by the time this goes out. Yeah, hopefully there'll be one appointed. Yeah, I don't know. I was, I, I was disappointed to see Cookie go. I think it's a, I understand the reasons on both sides. I knew, I had a good idea it was happening. Didn't know it was going to be Sunderland, as Rob Phillips didn't when you interviewed him on the podcast. Yeah. Um, so that was a fun Friday night, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and of course, then you're de- sort of dealing with text of players, you know, who were devastated, obviously, and shocked, equally shocked. Um, so it's a big, big decision because, you know, it's a, it's a very delicate situation to get the balance right between not upsetting the apple cart, having someone with it with you know, enough of a stature and their own ideas to take a group of players with them, but also not having the time to have any missteps because, mm. again, this golden generation, use that term, there's, there's a shelf life in some of them. They're not going to be around forever. You don't want to be in 10 years going, ah, oh, that... Cookie leaving, set us back two yeah. years. Uh, Giggs is a potential name, and I know he's in, inexperienced. If he's the right man for the job, fair enough, but... The Wales job can't be seen as a job to give to a novice as a stepping stone no. to becoming a Premier League manager. It's a big job in its own right, isn't it? Whoever's going to do the job is going to want to do the job because they want to do should the job. It should be the pinnacle. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, and people will go on after Wales. They have done before and they will do again. But to be fair to Cookie, that, that job meant everything to him. Mm. That's why he was able to come through the criticism and give it another go and be the success he was. So whoever comes in um, has to see it in the same way, has to give everything to it. Because, it, all right, it's... I don't want to use the word part-time, but you know, there's big periods where you're not involved. But those periods when you are involved are so intense. And you've been in international camps and, and you would have seen the way that Cookie you know, has worked. It's so intense. You haven't got a, you haven't got a moment to get wrong. It's got to be perfect. Yeah. And your time in between camps is your time to get it right. Preparation yeah. and also embrace the country. Yeah. You know, whoever it is, if it's Cal Robinson, Ryan Giggs, whoever, what Cookie did better than anybody was get himself across the country and make the fans feel special. Yeah, exactly. You know, feel people, make people feel part of it. And that's what's happened with you know, Wales football side. I can remember sort of having arguments with... with people at my organisation, but sort of having to fight for coverage and trying to say, you know, this remains important, it's still our national side. But, you know, the people, number of people going, the number of people reading almost wasn't justifying it. Um, but thankfully, you know, we've seen that grow and grow and, and people now seen the potential of, of what can happen and what the success can mean. And, and I, I hope it continues to grow. I hope it doesn't sort of falter and, and, and suffer a misstep because like I said it's been the biggest privilege of my life 
um, certainly working life, mm. covering this journey, and we don't want it to stop, do we? Because we want to keep on covering success, don't we? You know, yeah. and we do take it hard because we're intrinsically involved in it. You know, yeah. So like a fan, you know. Going back to that pack, these guys, and you would have met a few, these guys from Manchester, Birmingham, all over, you know, they were singing the anthem as best they could during the Euros, because yeah. they felt part of it. You know, they'd been on a similar journey, they'd covered some meaningless matches, if there is such a thing, normally when you've got caps. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, so, you know, we're not fans, we're typewriters as the saying used to go, but we're, you know, we're on the same side um, and we just want more more of it. Before I let you get off, I don't know if you want to give your book a little plug, your Twitter handle maybe? Uh, oh, I, get, I think enough people have got that because of the amount of stick I tend to get, it's at Chris Wathen, but yeah, the book is Together Stronger, um, the, the Rise of Welsh Football's Golden Generation and I'm really proud of it. Um, I took, I took the decision, I've sort of coerced into it by the publisher or just after a general chat, as it looked likely that Wales were going to qualify. And um, I thought, you know what, I'm going to kick myself now if Wales qualify and people who haven't covered the team have sensed uh, an opportunity to do a book and perhaps make a few quid yeah. and then not do it justice. And I thought, you know, I'm going to have to do it, otherwise I'm going to kick myself. And it, so you thought you'd take a few quid and do it justice? Yeah, I don't know about the few quid, um, but I wanted to write it and that, with books because you know you do it in your spare time. Hmm. I've got my job and I couldn't; it was never allowed to impact on my job. So all the interviews, all the writing of it, and you know, it took one hundred twenty thousand words. That's all done. That was all done after after working normal shifts. Um, but I wanted to do it because I thought it was a story that deserved to be told. Hmm. And I was, again, going, those relationships I've had with players going back over a number of years allowed me to tell it honestly the best I could and provide that insight and sort of put it all together. And, um, yeah, I, was, I sat back and was really proud of it. And a couple of players have said how much they've, they've enjoyed it. And, you know, I think, you know, talk, talk about relationships, you know, you... you you gain a trust from players that they know they can be honest with you, that we're not going to stitch them up. And I'm sure that there are journalists who have the opposite relationship or reputation with players. Mm. Um, I'd like to think that you know, the vast majority of cases that people see me as a, someone they can trust and not there just to, to stitch people up. And I think that benefits you in the longer run. And I think the Euros was an example of that. So, um, yeah, hopefully there's, there's another book in me yet. Lovely. Chris, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Good bit of insight into uh, the written press. Mm. Good luck with the future, mate. And to you. Thank you very much. Didn't problem, boy. There we have it. First one of 2018, done and dusted. It's in the books. Big thank you to Chris for his time. He's a busy man, always writing. Um, it never ends basically, there's always a story, there's always an angle, there's always another game to prepare for, a, a game that's just been to write a report for um, and it's always interesting finding out you know, through these, through these guys who do different things within the football industry, what they do, how they do it, uh, the way they got there, what their ambitions are and 
whatever Chris does decide to do next, whether it's just, you know staying within written journalism, decides to branch out and do something different, good luck to him. Give him a little follow on social media, on his Twitter, Chris Wathen. Um, and also buy his book, get yourself on Amazon. I, I don't think he sent me one. Any chance of a freebie, Chris? Bloody hell. Any chance? Thank you once again for downloading. Thank you for listening. Spread the word. Uh, leave a little rating, whether it's on iTunes, Acast, Podbean, however you get your podcasts. Thank you very much. Till next time. Ta-ta.